boogers all the way up to nearly grown adults. It's so exciting. This last week, Robin and I were uh, contemplating part of our journey because we celebrated our 14th anniversary. And uh, it was a thank you. Yeah. She, wow. Yeah. And it's fun thinking back on it because obviously as a youth, you're standing there all starstruck and, you know, hit by Cupid's arrows and in love. And we were thinking about all the things that had actually happened since then. And we thought, wow, if we knew all that <laughs> that, that has happened in those 14 years at the altar, wow, how we would have been looking differently at things. But we are thankful for God's sovereignty and his provision and his work in our lives up until this point. So I'm sure it is that way with the seniors and their parents as well. So congratulations, mom and dad, to you. Today, um, we're going to continue our study of the book of Corinthians in chapter 15. Uh, before we begin the, uh, the actual text, though, I want to tell you a little story, as I oft like to do. Uh, you can see that I brought something with me this morning. Does anybody know what this is? Yes, it's my clipboard, but it is my coach's clipboard. As you know, I've been uh, coaching a little league soccer team and it's been a lot of fun. I've got a record written out here, and I can look at the journey as it's gone forward. And it's kind of interesting to see how it started. Uh, initially, you know, it's just sign your kid up for soccer and go away. And then all of a sudden the emails come through, hey, we need more coaches, we need more coaches, we need more coaches. You know, I don't want to do that, I don't want to do that. Okay, fine, Lord, fine, fine. Yes, okay, I'll do it. And we begin this process, and I start out just as a rookie coach, and I go to the you know the first practice just straight from the office, not having prepared at all, and the kids are running all over the place, and I'm like, oh boy, this is going to be interesting. And then it turns out that the uh, first game we have, that's actually a double header, and additionally, I'm going to be out of town at the elders' retreat. And so I'm thinking, wow, this isn't a very good start here. We're kind of going boom, 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 down, down, down. So I'm away for the first game, and our kids lost one to one to three, and then they won the second one, three to zero. And then I came back for the first game. I was actually going to be at our third game, and we lost zero to three. And at that point, I'm starting to look through the season and going, oof, boy, this is. <laughs> I, am I sure I should have signed up for this? Am I doing the best for the kids? Is this really what the Lord wanted? And we're pursuing, and I see a lot of things that we need to work on and things we need to grow in and get better at, but we're certainly not there yet. And we kept trying, and our next game turned out pretty okay. We won four to three, but we still had a lot of stuff to work on. And eventually, I feel like the Lord inspired me with this one little uh, drill that would work multiple aspects at the same time. And so we began doing that drill just over and over again until the kids were just sick of it. And we came back to our next game, and we won 12 to 0. So, yeah, I was like, whoa, okay, we are making progress. And I really wasn't trying to rub it in on the other team, you know, but I did put all my best players forward, but no. And I switched them out eventually, and we still tried to rotate and stuff like that, but it just felt really good to win after all of that effort and that work. And I began thinking about that uh, feeling of victory, and uh, it was interesting, the emotions that victory provides. For example, after you've had a rough go of things, the first 
emotion that you sort of feel is relief. You're like, whew, okay, man, we can win. All right, things are going to be okay. It's just a big sense of relief. And after that, there's a bit of follow-up with the players. Like there's this praise, like, hey, you know what, so-and-so, you did a really good job. I told you to do this like 50 times, and eventually you did it, and I'm really excited about that. And so-and-so, wow, you did well at this. And then you start realizing how many things you can praise, and you go through this process, and you're praising everybody, and you're like, relief and praise. And then all of a sudden, your kids start feeling more confident. They're like, all right, we got this. We can do this. So there's relief and there's praise and there's confidence. And then as a result of all that coming together, you kind of feel like invigorated, like you're ready to go out and do it again. Like, yeah, all right, we won. We can do this. We can work together. We're a team. Let's go. What a great experience then victory is for the human psyche. And here we are, and we go through this process, and we get, we get relief, we, get, um, pr- we give praise, and we get confidence, and we're invigorated to go forward. I think, in a very similar way, the resurrection does the exact same thing for us as Christians. It shows us what the ultimate victory looks like, and as a result, we experience all of those emotions. We feel this tremendous relief like, ha, sin has not won the day. Yes. All of a sudden, we also result in, that results in praise. We're like, thank you, God. And it moves from that to confidence like, man, I can actually do this. It's been done before. I see it. it, it it's in me. I, I can go forward with this. And you're, you're confident and you're invigorated and you can move forward in the Christian life. All because of the victory of Jesus Christ. See, victory has this amazing effect or impact on us. And today, as we look at chapter 15, that's what I want to try to communicate or express is the incredible power, power of God's victory in our lives. You'll see that the subject of chapter 15 is the resurrection. And this is basically Jesus' triumph over sin and death. The reason for the discussion is that the Corinthians, they did not reject Jesus' resurrection. They accepted that. They're like, okay, Jesus, he rose. But they rejected their own. They thought that death was the end and they would be disembodied and just go up to be some sort of nirvana spiritual being somewhere. But they didn't actually believe that they themselves would come back in resurrected bodies just like Jesus did. They rejected that. And so the apostle is going to address that in these verses, not the rejection of the resurrection of Jesus, but the rejection of their own resurrection. And so the way he's going to do that, he's going to move forward by drawing attention to the victory of Jesus, by providing proof of Christ's resurrection, and then saying, well, if you deny the resurrection in general, then you deny Christ's resurrection as well. But instead, if you accept Christ's resurrection, then you will accept your resurrection as well. You will see his victory as a gateway to your own. And so the theme for today then is the victory of Jesus. And what we will see is that his victory ensures our own. Jesus' victory ensures our own. Jesus' resurrection, said another way, guarantees our perfection. Jesus' resurrection guarantees 
our perfection. So in other words, be invigorated, be encouraged, gain confidence, feel relief, give praise and glory to God. Because perfection awaits. Now, if you're anything like me, I just said the word perfect and you look at your life and you say, ho, ho. <laughs> I don't know what you're talking about, pastor, but that is not the world I live in. Indeed, my life looks quite a bit different from perfect right now. Well, no worries. The Corinthians are real people with real struggles, just like you and me. And so the Apostle Paul is going to walk through that and show you that none of them cannot be overcome by, there is none that cannot be overcome without the power of the cross. So let's take a look then at 1 Corinthians chapter 15. I want to break it down in bite-sized chunks for you, and you'll see these three chunks go like this. If you're into professional bull riding, you could call it PBR, but you have to turn the numbers around a little bit. But it's basically the basis, the picture, and the results. Or in other words, the basis of the victory, the picture of the victory, and then the results of the victory. What is the basis? How do we know that this foundation is sure or firm? What does that look like? I mean, I don't see anything like it in my life. What does the victory look like? And finally, the result. How does this affect me on a daily basis? What difference does it make? The basis, the picture, and the result. So let's start in verse 1 then of 1 Corinthians chapter 15. It's on page 122 or 1222 if you're in one of our pew Bibles. Otherwise, the 15th chapter of the book of Corinthians. I know that we covered parts of this in our Easter sermon, but I want to remind you of the context and lay the foundation so that we can walk forward with the application. So 1 Corinthians chapter 15, this is the first 10 verses. The Apostle Paul says this, he said, Now, I want to remind you, brothers, of what? Of the gospel, which I preached to you, which you received, in which you stand, and by which you are being saved. If you hold fast to the word I preached to you, unless you believed in vain, for I deliver to you as of what? As of first importance. Never forget this, church. What is first? The gospel. I delivered it to you as first importance. What I also received. Here it is spelled out. That Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures. That he was buried. And that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures. And then, here's proof of that, that he appeared to Cephas, then to the twelve. Then he appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time, most of whom are still alive at Paul's time, though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles, and last of all, as to one untimely born, he also appeared to me. For I am the least of the apostles, unworthy to be called an apostle, because I persecuted the church of God. But... By the grace of God, I am what I am, and his grace towards me was not in vain. Amen? His grace towards us is not in vain. This last week, I was driving down the road. I'm a pastor, so I pay attention to church signs. I don't know if you just burn by them or not. And there's sometimes emails that come out with all the comical, you know, different sayings that have appeared on church signs. Well, I saw a sign relatively recently, and I'll try to be discreet because it's within our own community, but basically they're 
advertising an event at their church. And they're like, such and such a day, this Sunday, check it out. you got to be there. Don't want to miss this one. Big day. Everybody come. You know? And I said, woohoo! <laughs> Not going to change my life. I'll still be at my church. I imagine the people across the street will still be at theirs, whether it's the church of the bed and breakfast mattress or whether it's this church across the street. I don't know. But here we are as a church and we're trying to drum up excitement. And I thought, well, you know, maybe, maybe it's motivated well. I mean, maybe they genuinely have a passion to reach people with the gospel of Jesus Christ. And I don't want to second guess them. So, hey, maybe this is just their idea and they're going for it. Okay. Woohoo! Let's get excited. And the whole church can try to get excited for a week. And then it goes event. Down. And then what are we going to do next? I don't know. Let's think of Carnival Sunday. Let's think of, you know, Picnic Sunday. Let's think of Rose Sunday. Let's think of Biker Sunday. Let's think of, you know, and that way every week we can come back up again and get excited and we can crash and we can get excited and we can crash and we can go and go and go. And eventually we'll have so much fun. Ah, I thought to myself, that's not going to keep me going. I mean, really, if I want events, I can go somewhere else. I don't need events. Now, I'm not trying to bash all our events. I just want to deconstruct things a little bit so that you can see what is at the core, the foundation, the basis, the real issue that drives the church. For us, it's not bouncing back and forth like a ping pong ball between different events. If you do that, it's nothing more than a bad diet. Something you try for a month and it goes away after good intentions have gone south. That's it. But in reality... What is it that actually, what is the basis, what is the foundation, what is the difference between the church and the United Way or the Red Cross or whatever cool club is out there, is that we have the gospel of Jesus Christ of first importance, first and foremost. That is something that endures beyond time, beyond culture, beyond language, beyond whatever changes of today. It is consistent and faithful all throughout time. And so it's not something that you have to just rile yourself up over because it's there. It is consistent. It's solid. It's secure. And I look at this thing and I say, wow, that is what I'm talking about. The gospel of Jesus Christ. Acts chapter 20, verse 27, the Apostle Paul says it like this. He says, I did not shrink from declaring to you the whole counsel of God. Now I want to draw particular attention to that word, the whole council, because even in even as I describe that, you may hear certain things that I'm not trying to say. For example, if I say the gospel is the whole point, you may step back and think, okay, contemporary North American evangelical Christianity. Gospel means big event, invite your friends, give a message, hope that people come forward. If they do, therefore they're saved. Gospel. But in reality, I would say to you, the gospel of God is much bigger than that. The whole gospel, the whole counsel of Scripture is not limited to fire insurance, to a short and quick presentation for the sake of justification so you can go away feeling good. Instead, the gospel or the whole counsel of God 
includes the complete, total, and utter redemption of all of creation in the entire cosmos. The whole gospel begins with the creation, there's the fall, there's the redemption, which is what we think of often as the gospel, and then there's the restoration at the end. Creation, fall, redemption, restoration. The whole big macro picture. If Jesus just died and made a few little churches, that's not enough. He wants to save his entire creation. And the resurrection, the Bible says, is the first fruits of that. It's the first example we have of this whole big picture coming full circle. That Christ is the example of that which will be. And that is why we can get so excited about it. It's because we look forward to not just becoming disembodied spirits in la-la land, but ultimate restoration, recreation, and perfection in a perfect world and perfect bodies forever. Amen? That's a lot better. And that's a lot bigger than some disembodied nirvanic state. This is not simply fire insurance for when you die. This is the whole thing fixed. The big picture. That is what is driving redemptive history. The creation, the fall, the restoration, the rulers that rise up and the rulers that come down. The nations that appear and the nations that disappear. The movement of the planets, the stars, the universe. Everything is aligning for this. This is the foundation. The gospel. The whole counsel of God. From the very beginning to the very end. And in Christ, what we have is the perfect picture of that. He who comes and takes on flesh, dies for our sins and mistakes, offers forgiveness, then brings the Holy Spirit to indwell, convict, seal us for what? The day of redemption. And then when Christ comes back, we receive our new bodies. And then he reigns as king and recreates the earth for us to live and dwell in forevermore. That is something to get excited about. That's something to look forward to. That's not a single event on a Sunday morning, which may or may not work. The balloons pop, they go away, they fade. But the gospel remains. This is the basis. This is the foundation This is a solid thing that never changes, which we can always be excited about. This is our hope. So number one, what is the B? What is the basis? The basis is the gospel. If I never, ever say anything else to you ever again, hear this, it's the gospel. I will never say anything more important than that. Ever. That's it. The gospel. The big picture of the redemption of mankind. So then we're left asking ourselves the question, wow, well that's a big, (laughs) that's a big piece of (laughs) pie to bite off, pastor. Um, What is that going to look like? Because you're talking about absolute perfection and the world I live is nothing like that at all. Verse 35 The apostle answers, he says, some of you will ask, well, how does this work? How are the dead raised? What kind of body are we talking about here? Then the answer in verse 36, he's like, well, here's a picture. Let me give you a picture. 
Take a lesson from gardening. Even if you're not a gardener, I think you get this. Verse 36, it says, What you sow does not come to life unless it dies. And what you sow is not the body that is to be, but a bare kernel. Perhaps of wheat or some other grain, whatever you want to call it. But God gives it as a body as he has chosen, and to each kind of seed its own body. Now, take some more examples other than that. For example, all flesh is not the same, but there is one kind for humans, another for animals, another for birds, and another for fish. That's a bunch of different bodies. Now, look at these. There are, there are heavenly bodies. What is your body going to look like? Don't you think God can come up with a significant response? There are heavenly bodies, earthly bodies, but the glory of the heavenly is of one kind, and the glory of the earthly is of another. There's one glory of the sun, there's another glory of the moon, and there's another glory of the stars. For all stars differ from stars in glory. So it is with the resurrection of the dead. So in other words, the Apostle Paul is saying to these people, say, hey, we, we don't believe this whole body thing. You know, we, we're okay with dying, but then we see what happens to the body, right? It goes into the ground, it's eaten by worms, it decomposes and decays. Are you serious about a resurrection? You know, what about the guy who got eaten by sharks, right? He got digested, excreted, turned into sediment, eaten by plants, and then gnawed on by fish again. What about that guy? The Apostle Paul says, can't you see creation which is all around you? Look at all these different bodies. Don't you think God is capable of recreating something? Look at the tremendous variety. Now, it's true that you're only a seed form right now. But of course, that seed has to die. And when it goes into the earth, God will resurrect it into something far, far more. In other words, here are two words for you. There is continuity and progression. Continuity and progression. Like the tomato, for example. It's a little tiny itty bitty seed. And you wouldn't necessarily guess what a tomato is going to look like just from looking at that seed. But it goes into the ground, it pops out, and all of a sudden, wow, this plant has flowered, and you have something way better. Something that is nourishing, something that can edify you, something that can feed you and strengthen you and help you. Here it is, having gone from a mere kernel to a full-blown plant. So too with the resurrection, the Apostle Paul says. Look, you are a kernel now of that which you will be. So in other words, he goes on in verse 42 and following, and he says, look, what is sown is perishable. Okay, now there's going to be a number of parallels. He's going to show you the continuity. There's some resemblance. There's some similar inherent DNA, if you will, even if it's not DNA in the future. There is something, but what it turns into is something more. What is sown is perishable, but what is raised is imperishable. What is sown in dishonor, is raised in glory. What is sown in weakness is raised in power. What is sown a natural body is raised a spiritual body. Now it begins to make sense. Yeah, I feel these first things, the perishable, the dishonor, the weakness, the natural, that's me. <laughs> Got it. But what's going to be, what will be those exact opposite things? From imper- from Perishable to imperishable, dishonor to glory, weakness to power, natural to spiritual. You would never recognize it 
It's completely different. Yet, the same. There's continuity, yet progression. Indeed, it's a bit of a mystery, and uh, we can't exactly spell that out for you and say, this is what it will look like. But as I've hinted at earlier, we do have some example in Christ, in His resurrection. So what will I look like after I die? What will I look like in the new heavens and new earth? What will I look like in the future? Well, the only example we have is Christ. And in John chapter 20, what we learn is this. It's really interesting. When Jesus has risen from the grave, first thing he does, you know, when he comes back, he appears to the disciples. And the text tells us that the doors were locked. On the first day of the first, or on that evening of the first day of the week, the doors being locked where the disciples were for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood among them. Now, how did he do that? Somehow he got through, even though the doors were locked. So what are our bodies going to be like? I don't know. Is it possible that they may not be limited by those sorts of things? Possibly. And then, yet, in verse 20, it says he showed them his hands and his side. And so they recognize some physical marks from the previous life. So there is a continuity And yet there's a progression. And when they're concerned about this, in verse 26, he says, Oh, peace be with you. Verse 27, he says to Thomas, Look, put your finger here and see my hands and put your hand and place it in my side. Don't disbelieve, but believe. You have believed because you see me, but blessed are those who have not seen and yet believe. That's you and me, by the way. We're being blessed right there by Christ. Then another example in uh, Luke chapter 24, verses 36 through 53. It's another appearance of Christ. And he comes to them and they're scared to death. So he says, peace be with you. They're startled and frightened still and thought they saw a spirit. So they think he looks spiritual, right? But then he says to them, why are you troubled? Why did doubts rise in your heart? See my hands and feet? That's not the stuff of a spirit. That That it is I myself. Touch me. He's tangible. And see, for a spirit does not have flesh and bones as you see that I have. And when he had said this, he showed them his hands and his feet, just like a human body. And while they still disbelieved for joy and were marveling, he said to them, Hey, what do you have to eat? I'm hungry. (laughs) You're hungry? And they gave him a piece of broiled fish and he took it and he ate it. So all this crazy stuff about Christ after he's resurrected, we know he's perfected, we know he's no longer hurt, and yet he has scars, and yet he can pass through doors that are locked, and yet he comes into the same room, he has hands and feet, and yet he asks for fish. How does that work? I don't know. There's continuity, yet there's progression. And so too in the resurrection. You, as human beings, could look forward to a similar sort of thing. The apostle says Christ is the first fruits. So I think, personally, now this is my speculation or interpolation or whatever, extraction from Scripture, I think we'll recognize each other in heaven. You know? We may not be balding anymore. We may not be tired. We won't be tired. We won't be hurting. But there will be recognizable features. And yet, at the same time, we're physical and spiritual beings. No longer limited by our past weaknesses, but instead made perfect. What a cool deal that'll be. 
This is what we know, verse 49. This is what we know. What exactly does it look like? We don't know, but we know this. Just as we have borne the image of the man of dust, just as we are like Adam, we also shall bear the image of the man of heaven. In the same way, we who are believers in Jesus Christ, just as we have experienced the effects of Adam, the fall, the sin, the hurt, the pain, the death, will also experience the effects of Christ, the forgiveness, the healing, the resurrection, the restoration. Completely in contrast to one another, we will bear the image of both. There is continuity and progression. Now, indeed, that's a mystery to be sure. Verse 50 tells us, and Paul basically admits it. He says, hey, I tell you this, flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does this perishable inherit the imperishable. Behold, I'm telling you a mystery. Now listen to this. We, that is, those who believe in Jesus Christ, not necessarily just those at that time, but not everyone who believes in Christ shall all sleep, but all shall be changed. For in a moment, in a twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised imperishable, and we shall be changed. This is the return of Christ that I mentioned earlier, where you get your new body. For the perishable must put on the imperishable, and this mortal body must put on immortality. Now when the perishable puts on imperishable, and the mortal immortality, then shall come to pass the saying that is written that we are all looking forward to. Death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your victory? O death. Where is your sting? The sting of death is sin and the power of the sin is law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through Jesus Christ, our Lord. So what is the theme of this passage? Well, it should be coming through pretty clear now, but let me show it to you on a slide. For those of you who are visual uh, learners like myself, this is the, you'll see the slide of um, verses 54 and following. You see the little red symbol there? What is that? Nike swoosh symbol, right? Okay, you ready for your Greek lesson of the day? Guess what the Greek word for victory is? Nike. That's exactly right. There it is. How about that? You're wearing victory shoes or whatever. Uh, Over and over again throughout this chapter, the apostle is trying to express the victory of Jesus Christ. So you can latch on to this and grab a hold of it and apply it in your life. And this is the application then. This is the point. This is the result. Basically, you have the basis. You have the basis of, of this victory, which is the gospel. You have the picture of the victory, which is the seed to plant. And now you have the result, which is how you apply it to your lives. And just like in the soccer story earlier, here's what we get. Look, verse 58, it says, Therefore, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your labor is not in vain. Hallelujah. You know, I mean, I lay down in bed at night and I'm thinking to myself, wow, what a day. I hope some of that mattered. You know, was any of it worth it? That was a lot of hard work. 
Did anyone notice? Did anyone care? I don't know, but I'm dead tired and exhausted, and I get to start over and do the same thing again tomorrow. Woo-wee. Here we go again. And you start to recount the day, and you think, should I have done this in this situation, or was that good enough? And then you start beating up yourself and say, well, maybe I could have responded there, or maybe I should have done this, and blah, blah, blah. And by the end of going through all that, you're totally discouraged and just like, oh, man, I tried so hard. I just can't win. Woe is me. You know? And it's true, really. If you look at yourself, no offense, we're all failures. (laughs) We are. And we go through the day and we try to be perfect, but we just can't. And we raise the bar and we try to step up and over and over again we try and try and we just never get it completely right. And we come to the end of the day and we say, man, I did this well. This, and this, whoa, not so much. You know? And you run through it and you run through it and you run through it. And by the end you're discouraged and falling asleep and getting up the next day. But that's the wrong focus. If we read this chapter, that's not the way the Apostle Paul is telling us to look at things. He's not saying based on the gospel, knowing that it goes from seed to plant, should you look at yourself and look back at the dead seed the whole time. Instead, you should be looking forward to the flower of the plant based on the resurrection of Jesus Christ. So when you lay your head down on your pillow at night, you don't say defeat, you say victory. Victory in Jesus. Not myself. If I look at everything in me throughout the rest of the day, yeah, it's not so good. I mean, I'm a pastor, I'm an okay guy, and I try, but it's still not perfect. And if I look at myself, I know I can find things to do better. And there's certainly areas of defeat. But if I look at Jesus, where's the defeat? Where is it? Even in his worst moment, he shows himself most powerful. And he overcomes sin, death, hell, Satan, our entire cosmos system in one fatal swoop when he raises from the dead. And there is victory. And so when we go to bed at night, we lay our head down on our pillow, you think Jesus. And not just some mere wishy-washy, you know, fluffy thing, but the victory that his death and resurrection provides. And as a result, man, then you get all those feelings that come rushing in. And there you are, and you say, whoo, relief. You know? Because, man, I thought I had to do it myself, and all of a sudden I realized Jesus did it. And we won. We're good. And all of a sudden, now that I, I see this, I'm like, thank you, Jesus. And you go from relief to praise. And you start praising him for it. And you're like, hallelujah. (laughs) You won. You won. Yes, I kept losing and you won. And all of a sudden you start feeling confident because you're like, hey, I'm on this guy's team. We're going to do all right. I'm feeling pretty good about this season. So we're going from seed to plant. (laughs) We're going to win. And there's confidence. And then you're invigorated and you're ready to go forward the next day because you're trusting not in yourself but in Christ. And that's the gospel. By grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, for the glory of God alone. To come full circle from creation to fall to redemption to restoration. Every night, 
even on your pillow. You see this process playing out. In the big cosmos, and the individual little tiny acts of each and every day. We mess it up, God gets it right. And we trust in Him to get us through the night. (sighs) So what would make this day a good day? Get the lawn mowed. Kids don't fight. Lunch turns out okay. What if all those things go wrong? You know, it rains, the weeds grow, kids fight, the lunch is burnt. Is a day a total flop? Is it a failure? Or what can you say at the end? Say victory. Victory in Jesus. What a great God we serve. Victory in Jesus. My Savior forever. He sought me and he bought me with his redeeming blood. How he loved me ere I knew him. All my love is to him. He plunged me to victory beneath the cleansing flood. Father, you are so good. We can't even tell you what a great and awesome God you are. Victory that you achieved is something we couldn't even come close to. In creation, to fall, redemption, restoration. What an amazing work you've done in our lives. Lord, now as we continue to worship you through the collection of our offering, Lord, and through the celebration of the grace in the lives of our students and in our church, We pray that you would continue to work your perfect, beautiful, and sovereign plan in every way. In Jesus' victorious name we pray. Amen.